Daniel chapter 1 tonight. And uh, I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. What I'll do is I'll read my text, then we'll pray over these uh, needs and, and ask God's blessing on the service. Verse number 1, the Bible says this, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat of the, and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall you make me endanger my head to the king. Let me pause there and say the world don't get it, does it? Uh, they're terrified you're going to miss out on what they have to offer. They don't understand we're trying to miss out on what they have to offer. And uh, the Bible says down in verse number uh, 11, Then said uh, Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days. Let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat, and as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter, and proved them ten days. At the end of ten days their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink, and gave them pulse. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among all them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for the house of God. Thank you for the faithfulness of your people. Lord, I pray that all these requests that have been given, that you would answer them according to thy will. But, Lord, do it in such a manner that we might see in it your providential and powerful hand, Lord, that we might render unto you full-hearted praise for your goodness and your grace. Lord, we do even tonight render that sort of praise unto you. We want to thank you for what you've worked and done in our lives over this past week. Lord, you've been faithful every moment 
of our lives. And Lord, this past week has not been an exception to that consistent record. Lord, I pray that these requests would would enter into your presence. Lord, we know by faith that they have that they would gain your almighty, everlasting attention, Lord. We know by faith that they have, and that your considerate care uh, would pour over them. And, Lord, by faith we know that it has. So help us to trust you in these matters, and may we magnify you as you answer. Lord, bless the preaching tonight. May it glorify you and you alone. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture in the Word of God. In many ways, it parallels the condition of the believer in today. We have here a group of individuals uh, who know the Lord, love the Lord, that have been placed in an alien environment. They've been taken from the land of promise and put into the land of paganism. Now they are tasked with maintaining a godly testimony, reputation, and witness to a world that does not want any of these things to be exposed to them. And when we come to this passage of Scripture, there is a verse, and probably you noticed it right away, that stands as sort of a a synopsis of what is transpiring in this passage. It's verse number 8. The Bible says, when faced with this offer and faced with this proposition of, of eating the king's meat, drinking the king's wine, being trained sort of in this worldly system in the royal palace, the Bible says in verse 8, but Daniel purposed in his heart, that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. When I read that verse of scripture, there's one word that leaps to the forefront of my mind, and it's the word character. If we were to describe this passage in one word, it would be that word character. We see Daniel's character as a believer, Daniel's character as a worshiper of God, Daniel's character as a witness in a pagan land. What do we mean when we use the word character? That's one of those slippery words been defined a million ways. Uh, some of the definitions that strike my mind that, that I think are probably pretty apt. Character is what you are when no one's looking. Character is what you are in the dark. Heard one man say character is what you are when the stars are falling. When everything's going wrong, when everything's falling apart, what are you when you don't have to be what you are? In other words, when no one's pressuring you, when no one is watching you, when you are not required, when you can get away with it, what are you really? Stripped from all external pressures that would push you towards living a certain way, do you still live that way? We live in a world today that it, it just it runs on the tracks of illusion and deception. I think one of the probably most most cancerous elements in our society, socially, culturally, emotionally, has been the advent of social media. And I don't think necessarily it just has an intrinsic evil. But here's what it's done, man. It's put a magnifying glass on some of the worst attributes of human nature, of fallen nature. And it's caused a society where rather than cultivating inward character, it has literally created a cottage industry where people can can essentially mainline hypocrisy into being the social norm. I'll tell you this, man. Godly character is a culture shock in the world that we're living in. If you start living for Christ consistently 
and letting your character that be, be that which magnifies the Lord, it will make waves in the world around you. The world's not used to that kind of behavior. Before we get into our message, I, I just began to think about what character is, where character comes from. Uh, you know, there's a phrase here in verse number 8. The Bible says Daniel purposed where? He purposed in his heart. Character is something that manifests outwardly, but it is rooted inwardly. And definitionally so. What your character is, is what you are deep on the inside. And so if my character is to be a godly character, it must be cultivated internally before it can ever be expressed externally. And there's a passage of scripture in the New Testament that speaks this. I want to read it to you very quickly and note three things before we get into the preaching. Colossians chapter 3, Paul's writing to a mixed multitude of people of all various walks of life. And uh, he writes to to rich people, he writes to poor people, he writes to uh, prominent people, to obscure people. Uh, And we find, as was common in the world in that day, he writes to people uh, that are masters and he writes to people that are servants or slaves. And he says this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. He says, Servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. We live in a world where character is cast to the side, but here's the question for the believer. I think we all accept that character is a valuable and important thing, that being consistently the same, whether at home or at church or on the job site, being the same person all the time is an important and laudable and notable thing. But the question is, how do we cultivate that in our life? Colossians 3 gives us three things. Notice, number one, it comes from a sincere heart says this, servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart fearing God. You Listen, number one, you've got to care what God thinks about your life. If you don't care what God thinks about your life, you're not going to have any character. You know why the world has no character? It doesn't care what God thinks. Uh, God, of course, is omniscient. He is omnipresent. He is omnipotent, meaning that he's all-knowing. Uh, he is he's everywhere. He, he's all present at all times and he's all powerful. And for the believer, this is fundamental to our concept of how we are to live our lives. If we don't recognize and understand that God sees all that we do, the good, the bad, the things done in the light, the things done in the darkness, then we won't cultivate character in our heart. And in fact, the cultivation of character really develops out of that awareness. You say, preacher, who are people that live consistent? People that live before God. Say, but preacher, we all live before God, but do we? I understand that God sees all of us. One of the verses in the Old Testament that rings in my mind at this moment is what the Bible says about Elijah in 1 Kings chapter number 17. He walked into the throne room of Ahab and he said this, as the Lord God liveth before whom I stand. It's a fascinating phrase. He's standing before an earthly king. That didn't matter to him. Why? Because he had no reverence for the office of the king of Israel? No. We find later on he had great reverence uh, for the office of the king of Israel. Well, was it because he was just some kind of rebel without a cause? He was just a bad dude? No. Although I probably wouldn't want to meet him in a dark alley and have to fight him. But I don't really think that's it. I think he understood this. He was standing before an earthly king, but far more deeply and more important than that, he was standing before a heavenly king. 
He was dwelling daily in the throne room of God, consciously recognizing that God was present and presiding over all the affairs of his life. And it brought in him a sincere heart. I'd say it comes from a sincere heart. Number two, it comes from a scriptural heart. The Bible says this, verse 23, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. In other words, we've got to know what's right to do what's right. It's funny that we've missed this in modern society. Uh, we have weaned several generations. And obviously, I'm not talking about the specific individuals in this room, whether you're of my generation or the one before, the one before, the one before. But merely to say that as a culture, we have cultivated several generations now on, on progressive Marxist ideology. It has become a consistent vein that's run through our schools, through our culture, through our media. And what has it wrought in our society? We say, well, preacher, we need people to be uh, metropolitan, exposed, well-rounded. And I just say this, hey, give it time, you'll become well-rounded. But I would certainly say this, that exposing our kids to the dregs of ideological wickedness has not helped them. It's hurt them. You know what they need? They need Bible. You know what you need? You need Bible. You don't know what is right. You won't do what is right. And so it comes from a scriptural heart. But then notice this. Who's he talking to? He says, servants obey in all things. I'd say this. It takes a servant's heart. You won't have character until you recognize that this life is not about you. It's about him. Until you recognize that your job is not merely to scrounge and claw and angle your way ahead, but rather that your job is to serve the Lord. I love the way he says that at the end of verse 24, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. He says this, for ye serve the Lord Christ. We have a good master. He's worthy of our service. And when we recognize it's our job to serve, it will make it easier to cultivate character in our heart. So with that in mind, I want us to think about Daniel chapter number one. I want to give you just a few truths that I find in this passage about character in our lives. Again, defined simply character or godly character is living in a righteous manner before the eyes of God because it is right and pleases him at all time. It doesn't mean a flawless record, but it does mean a commitment to serve the Lord because the Lord's worthy to be served. And we see this in the life of Daniel. Notice a few thoughts here. Notice number one with me. Look in verse number one. The whole verse, the whole passage, the whole book begins this way. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. If you study the history of the children of Israel, you'll find that Nebuchadnezzar actually besieged Jerusalem three different times. Uh, And we believe it was this first time of besieging it was when Daniel and his companions were taken because the city's left intact. Daniel was of the house royal of the uh, of, of the seed royal of the house of Judah. Uh, he is kin to the king. And so he is brought as a as a ward and he is brought as a captive to ensure the compliance of the king of Judah, along with these other young men that are brought. And it just reminds me of this when character is revealed in our lives. When do we find out who we really are? I would note this, that this story could not have happened in Jerusalem. This miracle could not have happened in Jerusalem. You say, preacher, a miracle. Sure, a miracle. Say, preacher, how's there a miracle? Well, because the fellow that ate the vegetarian menu looked better than the fellow that ate the meat. Amen. That's a miracle. 
And uh, you can laugh on a Wednesday night. That's okay. It'll be all right. This could not have transpired back in Jerusalem. It had to be in this place. And I would say this, in fiery trials, our character is revealed. We don't find out who we are when things are easy. When things are easy, we have the bandwidth to fake it. But when things really get difficult, we begin to learn who and what we are. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs that when we are in adversity, then it's revealed what our heart really is. It comes to the forefront, the strength of our faith, whether we fail in the day of adversity. And I would say that in times of adversity, we really learn who we are. You may be going through a trial and thinking, well, preacher, I can't wait to get out of it. And I understand that. I'm not asking you to roll around in and relish the difficulty or trial you're going through. But I would ask you to this. Pause for two seconds and look in the mirror and ask what you see looking back. Look at your life and ask yourself, who really am I? I remember years ago, I'm not even sure it's a story I should share. I won't. The Holy Ghost don't want me to. I'll just simply tell you this. There's people will do things when things go sideways that would have never done it. If things have been going well, we've learned that over the past couple of years happened as the world shook apart, man, we found out people were capable of things we would have never dreamed. What happened? Their character was exposed. And in your life, often in times of fiery trials, times of adversity, character is revealed. But then notice verse two, the Bible says this. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. He brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. It's interesting because uh, no doubt to Nebuchadnezzar, the more valuable thing he stole that day was the vessels as opposed to the wards that he had taken. And yet we find in in the book of Daniel, not much really is said about these treasures. They're left here to the dust pages of history. But uh, God continues to follow Daniel and his companions throughout this book. In other words, the true treasures were not the uh, riches that were taken, but rather it was the people that were taken. And I would just say this, that it was not until they got into this foreign place that we get to really see what they are. Let me say it this way. Not only in fiery trials, but in foreign territory, you find out who and what you really are. Me and my family, we like to take road trips. I don't know why, but we do. And uh, I guess we should while we still have the freedom of travel in this country. And, uh, and, and we like to, <laughs> I like the obligatory anti-government amens that I always get when I say things like that. Amen. Amen. And, uh, we like to, but I, I, something I've learned about myself, I don't do well when I'm out of my element. I mean, I do okay. I just get phenomenally paranoid. And, uh, when I find myself in an environment that I'm not like used to and comfortable with, man, I, I, I get jumpy. I do. I start like staring at people and looking at what do you think they're, did that? What are they looking at? What? He got some in his pocket. What's, you know, and looking around all, I mean, I get, I do, I get jumpy, uh, because I'm in foreign territory. I'm not in my comfort zone. I guess that thing lives somewhere deep within me, but it don't come out till I get in an uncomfortable situation. You know what you'll find that when you get out of your comfort zone, your character gets revealed. You know, that's part of the reason when God wants us to serve, he pulls us out of our comfort zone. You know that God has the administrative skills to put the best people in the best positions and rarely does it. If he did, I wouldn't be standing here. I'm being honest with you. I wouldn't be standing here. 
And some of y'all wouldn't be doing the things you're doing. But God does that. Why? Because he's trying to reveal our character to us. And when we find ourselves put on the wrong foot, when we find ourselves in an offbeat situation, when we find ourselves not in a time of ease or a place of comfort, but in a place of hostility, we learn who and what we really are. I'll tell you this. Uh, workplace HR laws have made a lot of Christians into cowards. Oh, that's okay. I didn't expect it to go over well when I said it. <laughs> it's given us excuses to dampen our testimony. Well, preacher, I might got, I might get in trouble. Well, wouldn't that be awful? You're probably going to get in trouble for something else. You better get in trouble for the gospel. I'll just go ahead and say it. Tell your HR rep to call me on Monday. All right, we'll we'll fight it out over the phone. I'm just telling you, sometimes you have to be in a hostile environment to find out who and what you really are. It's amazing. People that pledge they'd die for him won't even speak for him when it becomes uncomfortable to do so. I indict myself. But I'm just simply telling you tonight, your character gets revealed when not when things are easy, not when you're straight. It ain't in this building that, that your character gets revealed. I mean, listen, I hope through the preaching of the word of God and the shining of the of the perfect law of liberty in your in your life that you learn who and what you are. But I'm saying that that the testing of the metal of your character comes not within this place of safety and of, of haven of refuge. But when you leave these walls, who and what are you? See, the hypocrite. We call them a hypocrite, and I guess that's what they are. But it's not what they are out there that's fake. It's what they are in here that's fake. Because what they are out there is what they really, truly are being revealed by being in an environment of hostility. I see when our character is revealed. But then notice number two, verse number three and four. Don't worry, it'll get better. Verse three says this. The king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel... And of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science. Uh, We need some of them today and such as had ability in them. Notice this phrase to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue, the Chaldeans. I see where character reaches. So what do you mean, preacher? Character will get you places. That nothing else will. Character will get you places that charisma won't. They couldn't have talked their way into this palace. But because of the godly character of Daniel and his companions, God foresaw and and provided a way for them to be placed in this royal palace. Tells me this, number one, it reaches unreachable places. There are places that if you'll live with godly character, you would never be able to reach to be a witness for Christ. That God will see to it, you will get an opportunity to reach. You'd be amazed what God can do with your life. If you'll give it to him, God can do incredible things with it. But it's going to require godly character. And then number two, it reaches unreachable people. Uh, We come to the later portion of this passage and we find Daniel standing before Nebuchadnezzar. Wow. It's amazing if you were to roll back the clock and, and maybe this is being, I've been, my brain's rotted because I've been raised in the, you know, era of television. But often when I read things, I think of them almost in cinematic terms. And, and, and when I think about this passage and I, I imagine a split screen where, where you have the earlier portion of the story and there's Daniel huddled somewhere in the palace being watched over by guards 
while siege is being laid to the city of Jerusalem. And you imagine the vast distance and the formidable wall between Nebuchadnezzar standing as a general on his battlefield outside the walls of the city and Daniel cowering, uh, hiding somewhere deep within the palace. What a vast, who would have ever imagined that those two would stand face to face one day? And yet God did that very thing. How did he do that? Well, he did that because the godly character of Daniel. There are people you won't be able to reach through the ability of of your eloquence. There are people you won't be able to reach through the force of your argument. There are people you won't be able to reach through the charisma of your personality. But if you'll live right in front of them, they'll listen to you. (laughs) You can believe what you want about this. I, I believe, you know, long about chapter number four, I believe Nebuchadnezzar gets born again. Uh, I know that's not a New Testament term. You all right on a Wednesday night? Y'all seem tense. Y'all, what did Kerry do to you people? I'm sorry. It's safe. I'm back. I'm here now. He ain't going to hurt you no more. All right? Y'all are making me nervous tonight. But here he stands talking to a man that he never could have reached otherwise. There are people you'll never reach except to live right in front of them. They're waiting to see something real. I know we we are conditioned to believe that the whole world is fooled by all the fakeness of society. And maybe a, a vast portion is. But I promise you, there's people walking around that see how fake everything is. They see how fake the politics are. They see how fake the world's religions are. They see how fake Hollywood is. They see how fake all of the various movements are. And they're craving something real. And they're looking for something real. And they're watching your life and waiting, hoping that Christianity is is real because they need something real listen they need it for the kids they need it for the wife they need it for the husband they need it for the for the family they need it for their own soul and they're waiting and watching you say well preacher how can i reach them well godly character will go a long way i see where character reaches but then verse number five says this the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now, you understand that in, in, in your King James Bible, the word meat does not always mean necessarily be for the flesh of an animal. Sometimes it does. But uh, just as with the meat offering in the Old Testament, which interestingly enough was one of the only offerings that was given uh, that was not an animal sacrifice, but rather was bread that was baked and given to the Lord. The term meat is used in a colloquial sense, sort of to mean a person's food, you know, what, what they're eating. And so what it's saying is they were going to feed all these people on the same diet that the king was eating, which of course would have included all sorts of things that would have been forbidden to Daniel as well as probably a great many things uh, that would be, you know, forbidden not just for a Jew in the Old Testament, but even in the New Testament, the drinking of the king's wine, things that would displease the Lord even today. The Bible says in verse number eight, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Notice this. Notice what character refuses. Your character is is not, how do I say this? Your character is not as much determined by what you will accept as it is by what you will reject. Can I tell you something? And I, and, and I don't know why anybody would have to worry about it. You're never going to be looking for a church ever again in your life. But can I tell you, hey man, 
But can I just tell you a, a lot of the a lot of the mistakes that people make when they're looking for a church? You know what they do? They look for a church and they want to find out what it will say. Can I tell you a church is not defined by what it will say? A church is defined by what it won't say. A preacher is not defined by what he will say. A church a preacher is defined by what he won't say. And I will tell you that your character is not defined by what you will, but rather by what you won't do. Or we might say it this way, it is as much defined by what you refuse as it is by what you partake or participate in. Uh, Godly character will turn its nose up at some things. We live in a world where everything is supposed to be acceptable. Aren't we plumb sick on that poison already? We know that's not true. So what will godly character refuse? Well, it'll refuse two things. One, it'll refuse the meat of the king. Godly character understands that it can't thrive on the same diet that wicked character thrives on. Part of the brokenness in Christianity today is thinking that we can live as a pagan and be a Christian. Thinking that we can take all the pagan things and inject them into our life and out the other side of the, the sausage grinder will come Christianity. And that, of course, is not true. We know that is not true. And yet we make all these little exceptions in our life personally. Where we say, well, that may be true for them with their pet sin and their preference and their interest. But with me particularly, that is not the case. Uh, godly character recognizes and part of developing godly character is accepting the fact that you can't eat what passes across the world's kingly tables. You can't feast on what they feast on. If you do, you're going to get what they get. Yeah, I, I made comment of it a moment ago, but it's funny the way that the man responds. He's shocked that they wouldn't want to do this. And the world is shocked that we don't want what they have. I'm shocked some Christians do. Look at what this world is feeding people. I mean, it's not even enjoyable anymore. It's just wicked and vile and corrupt and unhappy and miserable. They're not even happy about it anymore. They're having to get people to participate in it at the crack of a whip because they're miserable in it. And it's evidently so. So we might as well just resign our heart. Hey, listen, I'm going to have to live differently than this world. But then I like this, verse number 6 and 7, the Bible says, Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. A great many Christians, if you said those four, or three of those names, if you said all of them but Daniel, they wouldn't know who they were. But you'd know them by this name, verse number 7, Unto whom the princes of the eunuch, prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. Uh, it's interesting because you go on through the book of uh, Daniel, and I could be incorrect when I say this, uh, but I don't believe I am. Not one time does God call him Belteshazzar. Not one time does, does God call Hananiah Shadrach. Not one time does Mishael, uh, does God call him Meshach or Azariah Abednego. Only do the pagans call him those names. God always calls them by their Hebrew names. Isn't that interesting? You'll find that Daniel later on would say this, now I, Daniel. Daniel didn't call himself by the name Belteshazzar. I'd say this, godly character, it refuses the meat of the king, 
but it also refuses the meaning of the names. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, names mean something, uh, and they certainly meant something in the Bible. It's interesting when you look at these names and look at what they changed them to. It wasn't by accident. Let me say this. What the world's trying to change us to is not by accident. The world is actively engaged in a flex and shame culture on Christianity. And it is not by accident. It's amazing. The world doesn't tweak the nose of the Muslims or the Buddhists. But they do of Bible Christianity. It's not by accident. The world knows what it's doing. And the world knew what it was doing here. In fact, it's you study their names and Daniel's name, uh, it, it actually means this, God will judge. That's a pretty good name. They changed it to Belteshazzar, and this is what that name means. It means laying up treasures in secret. So Daniel was reminded by his very name that God saw and judged all things. But they wanted him to believe that he could live a life of secrecy, of hypocrisy, of subterfuge. Hananiah's name means this, Jehovah has favored. They changed it to Shadrach, which means simply this, royalty. In other words, he understood that his meaning and purpose and value in life was because God loved him. But they wanted him to believe that the government had given him that, that the king had bestowed that upon him, that it was because he was royalty that he enjoyed those things. Mishael, his name means this, I like this, what God is. Here's a young man who had been taught who God was. His very name was saying, I know who and what God is. This is what they changed his name to, Meshach. You know what it means? It means a force that draws. In other words, here's what they wanted to do. They wanted to obscure his concept of God. He knew who God was. He knew what God was. But they wanted to believe that God was unknowable, merely some force of the universe that draws men. They were trying to draw him into a form of mysticism that obscures God. And I would just remind you, it's not just the book of Revelation that's a book of Revelation. The whole Bible's a book of Revelation, of who God is. We can know who God is. Azariah, his name meant this. It, it meant helper of Jehovah. I like that name, man. I like that. And I might change my name to that. Would you still go here if I changed my name to that? That sounds good, too. Azariah Weber. Sounds like something you read on a tombstone in an old graveyard somewhere. Azariah Weber died a consumptioner. I don't even know what consumption is. Helper of Jehovah. They changed his name to Abednego, which means servant of Nego. Nego was the fire god. He was in many ways akin to Lucifer in their pagan worship culture. So he was brought up to believe that his whole existence was to serve and help the Lord, the God of Israel, Jehovah. But they wanted to believe that his purpose was to serve their pagan gods. And yet in spite of all of this conditioning, all of this reprogram, and you understand it's not a slight thing. Every day of their lives, hundreds of times, they would be bombarded with these pagan names. And still at the end of it all, as an old man, Daniel, he says, I, Daniel, I, Daniel. In other words, he refused to let the world make him what they wanted to make him. Godly character inoculates us from the world manipulating us into their system. If what you are is just outside, the world can get to your outside. But it cannot get to your heart. And so you've got to cultivate it from inside. And then verse number 9 says this, 
how God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And anybody that reads anything more into that is not reading perversion into their Bible. They're revealing perversion in their mind, really. Uh, because, of course, that would be disconsonant with all of uh, both Old and New Testament uh, teaching. But I'm reminded of this, how character is rewarded. God rewards godly character. How does he reward it? Well, notice number one, it's rewarded with the favor of God's providence. God knit this person's heart unto Daniel, gave pity in this person's heart towards Daniel. One of the things we worry about when it comes to character, if we're to be transparent about it, we worry that no one will take our part, that if we're not willing to take our part, no one else will. And that's often why we yield to this wicked world system of conniving and manipulation and self-preservation is because we think, well, we need a level playing field. And if if we don't look out for us, then the world's just going to trample all over us. But can I remind you, your flesh don't never read the Bible. And your flesh just has not learned and recognized this. You're never without somebody to take your part when you're living for God. God will always take your part. So here's what God did. God ordered the steps of Daniel and even of others around him to ensure that he had the protection that he needed. It's rewarded with the favor of God's providence. But then look down in verse number 17. We'll just jump on ahead and finish the message. Verse 17 says this. I don't mean I'm done, by the way. Uh, As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. I'd say this character is rewarded with the favor of God's providence. But number two, with the fullness of God's power. God mustered all of the power of heaven behind the development and enrichment and advancement of these four young men. He divinely, supernaturally endowed to them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And even to Daniel gave him understanding in visions and dreams. They were not left one whip behind. By the way, it wasn't because, I want to say this carefully. It was, no, I just want to say it. It wasn't because the food they were eating was better than what the food was at the king's table. Uh, That's one of the misnomers. It's not that they were eating healthier and so God did this. Uh, and and uh, we've had for years, I mean, I, I, I remember, I, I keep up on diet stuff. I know you know that about me. I'm very health conscious. And I remember a few years ago, this the, the Daniel diet thing coming out. And you may have done it, and great, good on you, man. Lost some weight or something, and that's wonderful. I think that's a good thing. I, you'll be easier to wrestle if I ever have to fight you. Um, so I'm not trying to be overly cynical. But to suggest... <laughs> I'm not a cynical person, but to suggest that all that's going on here is just a healthy diet is to miss the whole point. No, listen, it it wasn't the fruit. It was the favor of God. It wasn't wasn't the vegetables. It was God's blessing on them. Listen, eat healthy. If you can find a reason to do so, God bless you. I'm not against it, but you're missing what is happening here. It's that. They looked at it and said, we can't live like the world lives. We can't eat like the world eats. We can't partake in what they partake in. For them, religiously, there were some things that were forbidden to them at that time under the law. Thank God we've been delivered from that under grace. 
And then there were some things that I think when it speaks of the wine, I think it's probably speaking, although typically the Bible uses the term strong drink when it's speaking of fermented wine. But I think probably, knowing these were pagans, it was probably alcoholic wine. And that, of course, forbidden both Old Testament and New Testament. It's not a part of dietary laws. It's a part of biblical living. And But at the end of the day, it wasn't that they ate a healthier diet. It was that they ate a holier diet. And what I mean by that is that they lived in a holy manner. For them, that happened to touch on these elements of food in their life. But in your life and in my life, it, it suggests this. If we want to be what God would desire us to be, and if we want to reach, here, here's a word that the self-help gurus throw around all the time, potential. The way we do that is through godly character. The greatest thing we could teach our kids is that the best thing you can do in your life is live for Christ. Whatever else that that may neglect, that's okay. Live for Christ. I'm not suggesting to be ignorant. I'm not suggesting to be uneducated. I'm not suggesting certainly to be lazy or to lack ambition. But but we've raised a generation that has valued all of these things at the neglect of holy living, of Christ-centric living. And as such, man, we've suffered because I tell you what, we, we've got a lot of of, of maleducated, over-indoctrinated, wicked, reprobate pagans that couldn't find God if he was sitting on top of them. I would tell you this, hey, listen, if, if you'll develop and cultivate godly character in your life, God will see to the things that need to be seen to in your life. Notice a final thing, and I'm done tonight. Verse 18. Now, at the end of the days... That the king had said he should bring them in. Then the prince, the eunuchs, brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them. And among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. See, there's the Holy Ghost calling them by their right names. Therefore stood they before the king. I want to just mention briefly what character reaps. What will it produce in your life? What will it, it cultivate and give you and grow in your life, and I notice three things here. Number one, it, it, it reaps a loftier life. They were better. I, part of the equity, mm, <laughs> part of the equity rot system of our world today, of government enforced outcomes in people's lives, of taking broken, fake fiat money and pouring it on social problems that only Christ could fix and expecting some kind of proper outcome from it, is this notion that it's wrong to be better. I want to be better. I do. I want to be better. I'm probably the worst person in this room, but I want to be better. I want to be better than you. You should want to be better than me. And the greatest way that we can in our life live a loftier life is to cultivate godly character. Get our eyes off of the extraneous things. Get our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Focus on him. And you know what it'll do? It'll make you better. It'll make you better. In fact, it'll give you the best life that you could possibly have. Gave him a loftier life. Verse 20 says this, In all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, they weren't just a little better. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. I'd say this, it gave him a lovelier life. A lovelier life, a richer life, a better life. I want my kids to have the best life possible. That does not mean burying them in a mountain of cheap Chinese toys. 
It does not mean burying them under the cumbersome weight of, of, of mountains of technology. But here's what it does mean. It means raising them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and teaching them that if they'll yield their life to Christ and, and just chase Him as hard as they can, give Him a hundred percent of who they are, that they will have a better life than they could ever have if they worked a thousand hours a week and saved 120% of the money that they made and gave all of their effort to every aspect of their life. They would still be paupers compared to what they could have if they would give themselves to Christ. And that's true, by the way, not just for our kids, but it's true for us. I like verse 21. Daniel continued even under the first year of King Cyrus. I remember talking to a preacher one time, young preacher, and uh, he was praying about taking a church. And um, it was a church like a lot of churches when they're looking for pastors, mostly older people. And, um, you know, some of them set in their way. Some of them had funny ideas about things. And uh, he was talking to me about it. He was really burdened. This guy, he really wanted like a turnkey church. I don't know what he wanted. I, we wanted what we've got, I guess, uh, without, you know, like 12 years of work. And uh but but he was wanting to find a church and 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 I remember I was talking to the young man and he said, "Wow, there's just some things I'm not sure that I can deal with and there's things that aren't perfect." And I said, "Brother, things ain't all they're never going to be perfect." And well, there's some things I wish were different. Well, brother, you just got to be patient, love the people, you know, don't go in there and try to be a new cowboy, new sheriff in town, just love them, let God change their heart. And he said, "Well, I'm just not sure I can wait and this and that." And this is a young man. And I said, "Well, can I give you a word of encouragement? If you'll go in and take that church and be faithful, You'll outlive them all. <laughs> By the way, some of these are going to outlive me now. <laughs> but uh, you know what I love about Daniel? He outlived them all. He outlived them all. He He outlived the regime that sought to corrupt him. Can I tell you something, believer? We're going to outlive the regime that seeks to corrupt us. We're going to outlive the regime that seeks to corrupt us. Hey, uh, the, the, you, this world passeth away and the works thereof, but he and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Can I tell you what character reaps? It reaps a longer life, a longer life. There's people laying down in hospitals dying of bad character tonight. Isn't that true? Dying of bad character. They didn't have character in their life. They didn't know the Lord, sadly, a great many of them. Some of them, no doubt, probably laying down there dying that did know the Lord. And they did things and involved themselves in things that wrecked their life and wrecked their body and wrecked their marriages and wrecked their homes. And now a great many of them lay down there and, and they're dying. And there's a lot of prognosis. Their charts say all sorts of different things. And this isn't true of everyone, of course, in that situation. But a lot of them die in a bad character. You say, what happened, preacher? Well, I'll tell you this. Good character in your life will give you a longer life. But even beyond that, the life you live, even one day, listen, when, when, when our flame flickers out, one day when God closes the curtain on the story of our life, the things we've done will live on, our testimony will live on, and the reward that God will grant us will live on beyond that. We'll outlive all of it. But it's going to take godly character to see our lives be of that benefit and value. Let's bow our heads together tonight. Musicians are going to play. Thank you, Miss Connie. Come play for us tonight. The altar's open. Uh, some are already coming. If God touched your heart, would you meet him down here?
tell you this, nobody can speak to your heart but God. Nobody knows your heart but God. Nobody sees your heart but God. But nobody matters but God. And so if he's speaking to your heart, won't you meet him down at this altar? Let him have his will and way in your life. Father, I love you tonight. Thank you for your word. Bless this invitation. I ask it in Christ's name.